It's Friday the 1st of December. This is the Climate Alarm Clock. This week's headlines, COP28 is kicking off in Dubai. What should we be looking out for there? And behind the scenes, oil companies and petrol states are still trying to sell oil. And warnings of food shortages caused by the climate crisis. Hello and welcome to the Climate Alarm Clock, your Irish climate news podcast. I'm Dara Wynn and I'm joined today by Anna Pringle and Kira Daly for the sixth episode of season five for what I feel like is our COP preview. Anna and Kira, how are you both doing? All good, Dara. I can't believe it's December. Where did this year go? I know, it's actually shocking. I feel like it's still March. At least it's cold now though. No. Yeah, and it, uh, you know, at least we've got cop to keep us company for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> keep us warm. <laughs> and we have our special guest uh, joining us, which we'll be talking about in just a minute. Before we do, just a huge thank you to everyone who has supported us on Buy Me a Coffee. Um, we've had some lovely yeah. comments in, Anna. Yes, Dara. Someone, uh, uh, someone who chose to remain anonymous, bought us a lot of coffees since our last episode, and said, fantastic job merging global and Irish climate news and pulling no punches. I like that. And they said that they love every episode, which is very nice to hear. And then Pat bought us some coffee. This is a comment I know you love, Dara. Um, Is it Pat or Paul? It's Pat. Started listening this week. Great energy from you all together. Love the way you keep throwing Dara off his thought process. (laughs) Yeah, I, I don't, don't think know. we do that, Kira. Do we? Do we throw Love Dara the off way his you thought watch? process? Oh, you throw th- Dara off his thought process. Yeah. So we try not to do that today, Dara. Okay. Yeah, so come, come, come for the come for the mild bullying. Stay for the climate news. <laughs> and also thanks to Paul, who didn't leave a comment but bought us some coffees. So it's great to it's great to get those acknowledgements. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks. Um. Yeah, thanks. We do really, really appreciate it. And if you would like to support the work we do, you can do that on buymeacoffee.com forward slash climate alarm clock. Okay, and Dara, we've been trying to say this for weeks, but do you know that we have listeners in 49 different countries? We've never got around to mentioning that. Hello, everyone. Hello, Barbados. (laughs) Yeah. and So we're nearly as many countries as COP. (laughs) Yeah, and we're, we're trying to get them to buy us coffees instead of sell them oil. Um, so anyways, um, for the last few weeks, we have been joined by some very special guests for each episode. And the idea is that we're bringing people whose background isn't necessarily climate change to just get people's opinions and have those conversations to try and normalize those climate conversations. So we know that 70% of Irish people are worried about climate change, but loads of people never talk about it. So we're just trying to normalize those chats one special guest at a time. We've actually kind of changed our protocol. This person, I'd say, is a bit of a climate person. He is a guest we've had on the podcast before. It's Owen Gallivan, who's a clinical psychologist and one of the founding members of the PSI's Environment and Climate Special Interest Group. So we've done a couple of special episodes around psychology with Owen, and today he's joining us for the news roundup which I'm really thrilled about really really looking forward to just having the chats and getting uh, his perspective so Owen welcome back to the Climate Alarm Clock great to have you here thanks so much Dara good morning everyone great to see you Owen 
I should oh, add I'm that so excited to have you here. This is going to be like my own personal therapy session. I hope you're ready. <laughs> <laughs> I've missed all the specials you've done. I'm oh, like, you ah. missed the specials. But you know, Owen, just not to not to kind of butter you up or anything, but your special on climate anxiety, I think, is our most listened to yeah. episode. And we'll put a we'll put a link in the show notes for it because it's it's fairly timeless. We'll put a link in the show notes for anyone who ha- who missed it earlier this year. Oh, that's very yeah. nice to hear. How cool. Don't tell him that. He wants some of our coffee. <laughs> just for any listeners, just so they know, I'm not in that episode. So if you're tuning in to listen to me being interrupted, uh, you won't get it from that episode. But it it's is purely a, a coincidence, Dara, that that's our most listened to episode, of course. <laughs> um, but uh, Owen, just before we get into it, um, for people who maybe haven't listened or, or come across um, come across you before. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you know how you kind of came to this this climate issue? It wasn't always an area of focus really in your work. No, it wasn't at all. I, I'd never intended to point myself as a psychologist towards the issue of climate and environmental emergency. Um, I, about two years ago, I think, uh, just before COP twenty six, I guess that would have been coming out of COVID, started to pay a little bit more attention. Uh, there was something about COVID that somehow made looking at the climate crisis a little bit more... Uh, it was like the, the bubble of safety that we'd all been living in had somehow been broken. And once I realised it could be broken with one thing, I thought, Jase, I better have a closer look at this other emergency that people have been talking about, see if it's also serious. And it really is. <laughs> so it scared the bejesus out of me. <clears throat> I went through this really intense period of a couple of weeks of not being able to sleep properly and you know, being anxious and uh, kind of slightly frantically going around looking for people to talk to about it uh, who were also, um, you know, over the threshold of awareness, if you want. <clears throat> and uh, very, very grateful that I found lots of uh, people who were and very kind people, uh, lots of psychologists who were. Um, so it was during that period I started to, you know, really think about the fact that there is a psychological, behavioral, social dimension to the fact that this you know, enormous crisis is occurring in real time around us, and yet many people, most of us in some way, are still operating as if it's not. And I thought, wow, that is quite a phenomenon from a psychological point of view. So that kind of drew me into, drew me into that part of it, if you want. And we set up the, the PSI Special Interest Group uh, with some fabulous people in there, and uh, we've been tipping away at various bits and pieces, doing conferences and talks and stuff for the last couple of years since then. Wow, that's so interesting. I never realized you were so new to it. I would have just assumed you were in the realm of climate for years, but that's really cool to hear. Yeah, I went through a crash course. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a, a, a diet of nothing but climate related information for about 12 months. Um, yeah. Mm, but I think, yeah, what I, what I think is really interesting is, uh, you know, I'm sure there are people out there, and they're probably not our listeners. But I'm sure there are people out there who have had that same experience as you of that, you know, two weeks of real intensity and not being able to even getting bogged down by it, but who never found that network, you know, and who just kind yeah. of, you know, either are just crippled by it or just forgot about it again. Um, yeah, you know, I'm sure I'm sure there are so many people out there who have had that experience, but maybe haven't um, taken it on to the extent that you have. Yeah. 
I think the thing that got me over the line into kind of sticking with it, you know, that notion of staying with the trouble was the the kind of father in me. Because uh, one of the lenses I was looking at was where are my kids going to be in 10 years time? Because, you know, myself and my wife would be talking about schooling and aspirations for, you know, you go through the, oh, wouldn't it be great if they, you know, went to college and thinking about their future lives and all that. <clears throat> and at the same time, hearing news that's saying, you know, within, you know, and the, it stopped being decades away. It, now it's within their lifespan. All of these incredibly horrible things might occur, uh, likely to occur. And that really shook me uh, out of uh, kind of inertia. And I said, I can't live with myself if I don't contribute in some kind of way, put my voice to it in whatever way I can. Um, but I, I think you're right there. I think there's a, it's really challenging for people to stay with it because there's actually a lack of cohesive engagement for people. You have to really be purposeful and really put your put your mind to it to stay connected to it. Yeah, it's very easy to go back to your daily life and rhythm and, you know, all of that and and put it to one side and almost forget about it. I mean, I think unlike you, I think it took me about 10 years to find a tribe of people who got it. Um you know, so but but I really relate to your whole point about lying in bed awake, going, "Oh my God, what are we doing?" I mean, I think that's a very natural reaction when the enormity of it hits people. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I see a lot of parallels between what you were saying on there, and it makes me think of, um, like, I probably really only started to absorb and go through that similar process of being like, "Oh my God, what is this?" awful feeling in my heart like while I absorbed this information but it was only because I was part of this podcast and like I remember one day and I've probably told the story of the podcast before sitting in my office looking out the window and being like what the hell is going on with the world and like ringing Darren I was like I'm gonna shut down my business I work in marketing I'm causing this and like just like going through this like absolutely whirlwind of emotions for about two or three weeks and just being like what is the point of anything like just being so not what is the point of anything, but just being so desperate is the only way I can describe the emotion. And the only reason I actually came out on the other side of it where I was like, no, I'm going to actually stick with this topic. I'm not going to turn away from it. It's because A, I was involved in a bloody podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but like I had the privilege of having people who had already gone through this and really empathized. It wasn't like, oh my God, I'm so sorry that you feel that way. But like that they'd already experienced the emotion of going through that. But not just that, the fact that I'm in a position that I have a roof over my head that I can worry about those things that I, you know, if my business did close down, I have a family that will support me. Like I had all of these kind of things around me that were a privilege for me to actually even be able to to worry about it. So I think when I hear people kind of dip into that conversation around like we're at the stage where a lot of our friends are having babies now and I'm like, how can you not think about your children? And then I'm like, of course, why would you? And, and it's not that they're not, but I'm like, how come you're not in a podcast or whatever? Like, I have these moments where I'm like, why aren't you doing more? And then I'm like, you're not like, you know, I, I always have to kind of take a breath and be like, I have a lot of privileges that I was able to actually have that breakdown over it mm. <laughs> and come out the other side of it again. Well, you've had the breakdown on on air, Kira, over the last <laughs> couple of years. You know? oh, yeah. so, yeah. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't those realizations. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think yeah the, realizations. I think, yeah. 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 We, we will, we will get into, we will get into, Cop now shortly, but I think the one thing for me there, 
when you were saying that here about having those frustrations of like, you know, how are you not, how are you not doing this? How are you not getting it? How are you not taking action? And like, I've had those thoughts and feelings before when I myself had only been involved, you know, in yeah. the climate stuff for maybe a year or two. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. why do I get to decide that now is the time that everyone, you know, now that I've done it, then I'm like, yeah. no, now everyone needs to be doing this. Why are you not? Even though someone could have just as easily said the same thing to me yeah. six, seven years ago. Um, all right. So, well, I'm not sure, to be honest, how what COP does for our <laughs> state of mind. Um, <laughs> I really don't know what, what to make of it this year, but COP28 is kicking off. Um, it has probably started by the time you are listening to this podcast. So I suppose for anyone who doesn't know what COP, what COP is, it is a gathering of most of the countries of the world. There'll be 160 heads of states there arriving um, today, Friday, if you're listening, or th- Thursday even, um, basically to come together to discuss climate action and what needs to be done so famously at cop 21 in paris the paris agreement was um signed with the where the aim was to keep warming below two degrees with an aspirational target of 1.5 degrees and part of the paris agreement was that every few years there will be a global stock take being done so that basically all the countries will come together and um assess how they were doing, assess their progress, see how they're doing when it comes to the targets. And I think the stock take was meant to have taken place last year or the year before even with, but because of COVID. I think um, 2020 was five years, I think five years after Paris. So it was supposed to be at the end of 2020, I think. Or possibly 2021 because it was Maybe, not signed. Yeah. Until, but anyways, it, it's happening now, um, which is a stock take to, to basically see how far things have gone and what should happen next. So um, part of this stock take is this thing called the ratchet mechanism. So um, the idea with the ratchet with the ratchet is, you know, once you tighten a ratchet, then you can't loosen it. You can only make it tighter and tighter. So the idea with the ratchet mechanism of the Paris Agreement is once a country has committed to a target, then they can't weaken that target. They can only strengthen it. So um, so that was kind of always a reason for optimism when, when targets weren't maybe strong enough is that, oh, well, you know, now that they've set this as their baseline, they can only get more ambitious and more ambitious. So we'll be hoping to see um, lots of countries upping their upping their ambitions and upping their targets um there there'll also be a big focus on loss and damage this year um and we talked a bit about that last week but basically a loss and damage fund where countries developed countries are providing money to uh the most affected climate uh countries most affected by climate change um for loss and damage so there will be a lot of focus on that this year but obviously the the whole thing to a certain extent is is I think overshadowed by the fact that it's going on in in the UAE and um, lots of the stories that we're hearing coming out about it that we'll get into in a minute. But before we get into that, any kind of 
Any thoughts on cop from anyone? Anything anyone's looking forward to over the next two weeks? You know, it strikes me, Dara, I was thinking this as I was reading up about it. It's like a giant climate camp, except with governments and businesses and stuff. I was thinking about the climate camp we were at in Leitrim during the summer. This is like a giant like climate camp. It's How many, like 100,000 delegates, is that right? Did I get that right? Um, 400,000 visitors. And I kind of look and go, why are they all there? It just, it, it, I'm not sure, but... Um, so it's a lot of talking, and one of the, I think one of the things about it is that it does give a platform to countries that we wouldn't necessarily hear from otherwise. So I'm thinking about your the, uh, friend, the president of Barbados, who or the prime minister of Barbados, who was very powerful in the last couple of years, and like we wouldn't hear about her otherwise. Um, and, and then Antonio Guterres, the UN Secretary General, who I think has become a really amazing spokesperson. On these issues, you know, so one of the things that the UN Development Program has identified as a major theme is fossil fuels, and yet here they are in the UAE with the biggest um, reserves of fossil of gas in the world, I think. Um, but Antonio Gutierrez has said that the COP needs to aim for a complete phase out of fossil fuels. You know, and that's interesting as a as a starting point. Um, I doubt very much that will happen, but it's at least he's. Um, He's putting it out there and, and saying, making people squirm a bit about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's for me, it's kind of hard not to be cynical uh, about it, about it going on in the UAE. I think it's also that thing that I was saying earlier of, you know, when I first got to, came to the climate thing and then I heard about COP and I was like, oh, this thing is happening uh, this is going to be amazing. This is going to sort it. And then it didn't. And then the next year, I was like, oh, hopefully this year. And now, once again, I realize there have been 28 of these cops. Yeah. <laughs> um, and things are going the wrong direction. So what, what good, <laughs> you know, what good does it do? I agree with you, Anna. I Like Mia Motley, the president of Barbados, some of the things that she says, some of the messages that get out there, if you do tune into them, are brilliant um but yeah it's it's hard to know oh and i'd, I'd love to get your your kind of general thoughts yeah. on on <clears throat> cop as a as an entity it's 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 a real um example of double think isn't it uh an, an invitation to pretend we don't know what's really going on because we hope something else is going on <laughs> um that we we hope the endeavor is what it says on the tin uh, which is an effort to address, uh, you know, reducing fossil fuels. But actually what's happening is all of the, you know, incredibly wealthy and powerful petrol states um, are gathering to ensure that they do as little as humanly possible to reduce fossil fuel use. Um, there's something really a little bit soul-destroying about all of that because it's very hard to see another... Uh, mechanism or kind of it, it is this big global kind of event so it, you kind of think this has the potential you know you can see the potential of something like this with all all the powerful countries in the world coming together all of the you know kind of the parties coming together but then you you kind of look at it at the second time and you go hold on a sec it's being hosted by the uae the president of it is the head of a petrostate and oil company, 
you know, the, the stuff that came out recently about their efforts to, you know, use it to kind of broker more oil deals yeah. um, is just bewildering and and disappointing. And, you know, could could you leave could leave you very kind of so I mean, it's a bit like saying, oh, oh, my God, that that kind of cigarette company hosted uh, lung cancer conference hasn't yeah. led to a reduction in the rates of lung yeah. cancer. Yeah. And that's the only Shocking. thing we're putting our effort into yeah. <laughs> and yeah. being surprised by that. Um, so there's something I'm, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm left a bit kind of, you know, I watch it now with with a cold eye. And uh, I, I like the fact that there is that potential there and it does exist. And as you say, it's, a, you know, we hear stuff and there's a, it's, it's a real pros and cons good. But. Dara, what you're saying that every time we've had one of these emissions have gone up straight after it, yeah. despite agreements for targets and policies mm. and, and all that. Yeah. Um, so it, it's very hard to to believe in it uh, when you know that that's true. Yeah. And I, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on, um, you know, one thing for me that I would see as a positive, I suppose, is the increased coverage that we get because of COP. You know, you see yeah. the climate stories, you get all these reports that are brought out in the lead up to COP and, you know, we get that information and it is in the news more. And I kind of saw that as a positive for a while, but then I kind of think of, is 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 that, do you think, is that totally counterproductive as well? Because what that then happens is it turns it into this news story where we don't hear much about it during the year and then we hear about COP loads and loads and loads um, for a couple of weeks and then we don't hear Anthem again. So I do wonder if lay people think, oh, you know, they're talking about it. It's bad. All the world leaders have come together. We're not hearing anything about it now. So they must be sorting it out. I do wonder if I, I do. Yeah, I do wonder if it if even the coverage is almost counterproductive because it sort of could lead to this false sense of security in, in the public that they think it's under control. Yeah, I, I think that's a valid uh, observation, Dara, that it's almost like it's it socially um, v- validates <clears throat> the the status quo inertia. We can talk about it and not do anything about it is now the norm. Yeah. Um, on the other side of the coin, though, I think that might be a step along the road towards talking about it and doing something about it um, rather than it being a dead end. So I, d- I do think talking about it in the media has to be part of the journey forward, even if we move through a period of talking about it and not acting. In a very strange way. <laughs> Maybe this is just me trying to hold on to a bit of optimism. <laughs> but I think that when, <laughs> this is going to make me sound like a bit of an asshole as well, so please forgive me. But, um, when we when I first started this podcast, we were it was around COP and the IPCC and all that. And honestly, the drama of it kind of enticed me into the conversation. I was like, oh, so there's this big conference, but actually everyone is like being a bit false and a bit of telling a few lies, and there's this controversy and there's that controversy. And like on, like speaking honestly, a bit of it was like, wow, this is like a bit more interesting than I thought. And then as I kind of entered into the conversation a little bit more the emotion started to like really take hold of me but I like to think that COP28 people are sort of like having those kind of same conversations like you just said there Dara like well why do we need 28 of them like what's happening and kind of 
I don't know, getting a bit drawn in by the drama. I don't know. I feel like the conversations around all of that are happening a little bit more and people love a scandal. You're saying they should turn it into a reality TV show. Yes, I think <laughs> Big Brother Cop 28. <laughs> Who gets voted out first. Yeah, I'd say that would actually be a fantastic show in all sincerity. <laughs> <laughs> I think it'd be a lot of boring meetings to watch. So, um, but yeah, who knows? Um, um, so yeah, Owen, Owen touched, on, touched on the sort of real negative side of this, uh, of the UAE planning to use the talks to make oil deals and, and Saudi Arabia planning to hook uh, poor countries on oil. Anna, do you want to... Yeah, us, sure. Um, but but just, just to finish on COP, though, um, I was actually at a webinar during the week run by DCU Climate Centre for Climate and Society with various various people who know a lot about COP. And one of the things that struck me with me was, um, and I think it was Conor O'Neill of Christian Aid Ireland who said it, he said, we shouldn't expect too much from COP. He said, it's not a perfect process it's not meant to be. And and what they were saying was there are all sorts of other processes that are also going on. So don't don't hang all of your hopes on COP, which I thought was quite wise, actually. Um, and then just coming on to that story, Dara, one of the reasons we shouldn't hang all our hopes on COP. Um, so Owen mentioned that it's in the United Arab Emirates and the president of COP is... Oh, Dr. Sultan Al-Jaber, who is the head of the state oil company there. And there was an investigation done by BBC and the Centre for Climate Reporting, who found out that uh, they found briefing documents that the UAE were using and that they were discussing fossil fuel deals with at least 15 nations as part of the run-up to COP and to the, the, the climate talks. And, you know, the, the UAE team, according to the BBC, didn't deny using COP28 meeting, COP meetings for business talks. And they said private meetings are private. So they're not wrong. They're not wrong. Um, <laughs> so they wouldn't comment on what was discussed and said we were focused on meaningful climate action. Um, so these talking points that they were using, they were trying to, like, for example, um, they had one where they were talking to China about working with the UAE on LNG opportunities in Mozambique and so on. And, you know, it's just and how they would support Colombia in developing its fossil fuel resources. So bad enough that they're the president of COP, but then that they're also using that platform to advance their own business interests. Um, it's just kind of sickening. Now, Dr. Al Jaber, who gets great coverage in the press, he has said that those allegations were false and uh, not at all. They didn't do that. And he, and he had a really snotty comment where he said, do you think we need the cop to go and establish better deals or commercial relationships? We don't need that. Um, so you're kind of like, just the arrogance in that statement just jumped off the page. Is that the tone he used? <laughs> I'm imagining that is the tone he used, but um, probably in more of a UAE accent, not a Donegal accent. <laughs> um, but I can just hear him saying that. Why would we need to do that? You know. So, uh, so yes, yeah, so that was a scandal that came out in the last week, um, and just really throws some ugh, lots of question marks over the credibility of of that presidency. Um, and then talking about petro states and big bad oil companies. 
Separate to that, not related to COP, but Saudi Arabia, another investigation has found that Saudi Arabia has this grand plan, as the as the Guardian says, to hook poor countries on oil. And like this is, I, I mean, talk about an evil plan. Um, and if it sounds familiar, it's because it's right out of the playbook of big tobacco. Um, yeah. So what they what they are trying to do is get. Poor countries hooked on oil, they are talking about ways that they can drive up the use of fossil fuels in countries like Africa and elsewhere because they're worried that rich countries are switching more to clean energy, which is a good thing, obviously. Um, but so how do they then expand their market and make sure all of the oil and gas that they have is being used? So they're talking about flooding Africa with um, electric vehicles or, I'm sorry, not electric vehicles, um, flooding Africa with fossil fuel vehicles, cheap cars, cheap fossil fuel cars that people can use um, and, you know, bring... Gas, gas he- stoves instead of, uh, instead of wool-burning stoves, yeah. Yeah, I mean, supersonic jets. They want to develop a fast-track supersonic air travel because it consumes three times more jet fuel than normal aircraft. And again, the Centre for Climate Reporting has done great work in uncovering all of this. Um but you just look at that and you go, I mean, and Saudi Arabia anyway is, you know, their leader has been, I mean, he's a murderer and evil, you know, so, and the fact that they're willing to do this around the world is just so, so cynical. While they will also show up at COP. That's what I was just going to ask, that they will be turning. Oh yeah, they'll be there and they'll they'll agree to certain things and then they'll they'll take certain things out of agreements. They won't agree to phasing out fossil fuels, for example. Yeah. What fascinates me about all of this is that, like, you take the, the big tobacco example and you, and you can understand someone, uh, you know, trying to get millions of people in poorer countries uh, addicted to cigarettes because that's kind of far away from them in a sense. Yeah. And, you know, they might live a very healthy lifestyle and their kids might live a very healthy lifestyle and they might be happy that the town that they grow up in has no smoking laws everywhere and... Da, 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 but they're selling them over there. But what fascinates me about this is that all of those people who are promoting fossil fuel use and you know putting their foot in the accelerator as we you know drive towards the cliff, they're all subject to the negative consequences of climate change too. And you know the oil companies have known about this. Their science has been just as good as everyone else's science. Uh, for decades, so it's not yeah, they're that hurting they themselves; they're hurting everybody. Yeah, right. So they're they're limiting they're limiting the viability of the system on which they rely on to produce the wealth that they're producing. So they must know that there's a time limited game at play, and that at some point, um, the system's going to crash. They, they can't not know that. Yeah. Or or there there's some level of denial that's being kind of. Uh, operationalized within their immediate social structure that makes it very easy to to unknow it like we we're talking about earlier you can you can not know things that's possible humans are very good at doing that yeah at not knowing parts of reality in fact we kind of rely on not knowing parts of reality just yeah. to function and we can th- we can be a bit selective about what we know and what we don't know um you know, anyone who's who who was addicted to cigarettes will know this. For example, I was addicted to cigarettes at one point. So I know that I'm smoking cigarettes and I know that it's terrible for me, but I'm not thinking that right now. I'm, I'm, yeah, you can't stop. Right. And and all of us who are aware of climate yeah. change and also contributing to the problem of climate change every time you might get in a car or, you know, 
use a particular food product or whatever it is, we, we know and, and we put it out of our mind. So we kind of know at some simple level that we're able to do that. But what fascinates me about this sense of exceptionalism, maybe, is that people are so wealthy and powerful that it's almost like it might amplify that sense of not knowing and sense of protectiveness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah people yeah, feel sure. protected. I mean, one of the things I was thinking about with this was if I was if I was the leader of Saudi Arabia, which obviously wouldn't happen because I'm a woman. Um, but if I was, <laughs> that's the I'd only at, reason. Yeah, that's the only reason. Also, I'm not Saudi. She's a fucking woman. But if I was, I would be looking at a country that is insanely rich because of oil. And I guess what they're thinking is, and, and I suppose this also applies to governments in other countries, you're thinking about how do we keep our country rich so that I can stay in power and how do we deal with threats to that? Mm. Um, and I think that's probably the thought process around that means we need to keep selling oil. We've got loads of it. We can't leave it in the ground. I mean, and I suppose if you take that example and you say, okay, well, what does that mean in other countries? It means... You know, we have to keep, we have to import LNG or we have to keep building um, roads because people want roads and we want to stay in power. You know, so it's it's a very complicated mm, I, I, yeah, thing I, to think through. I think the other part of it is, and you know, I've had that in my personal life as well, is, you know, once you change that behavior, you know, once you reduce your meat consumption or or you know, whatever it is, give up driving or stop flying or whatever, then you kind of have to admit, oh, I've been doing a lot of damage to the planet for the last however many years I've been doing that. So I guess there's that thing as well of of just doubling down. And, and because if you totally change tack, then you're admitting we've really dropped the ball here for the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years, however long yeah. it is, that we've known how bad what we're doing is and 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 still carried on and not done that so i think you can get into that cycle of yeah just but i mean with the with the saudis though they're <clears throat> actively trying to undo i mean they you know so they are using their money to lobby against government subsidies for electric vehicles around mm. the world you know yeah, i mean they're actively trying and they're they're talking about collaborating with a global car manufacturer to develop a cheap car that can be sold to give an oil and the, the language is to give an oil uplift for the kingdom Okay. So I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, fair. Like it's 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 way beyond you know admitting I'm addicted to like I'm actually going to get more addicted and use more. What's that you said, Dara earlier? A ratchet mechanism. It's almost like they're ratcheting it up. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I yeah, I think the other really really important uh, perspective in this story that we haven't talked about yet is, you know, is from the perspective of the African countries of the sort of lesser developed countries that they are trying to do this to, um, because it's, you know, on, on one hand, it's very easy for them to portray that as, you know, charitable and, and benefiting the local economies and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's totally, totally um, counterproductive. Someone, uh, let me see who said this quote. Um, uh, think uh, Someone from the think tank Power Shift Africa said that Africa cannot catch up with the rest of the world by trudging along in the footsteps of the polluting nations. It would mean we miss out on the benefits of modern energy solutions that Africa can take advantage of due to its massive renewable energy potential. Yeah. And so the thing is yeah. there that 
countries in Africa have a chance to just skip all that fossil fuel infrastructure and move straight to renewables. And yeah. when I was when I was living in Kenya, I remember someone talking to me about this and the examples that they used was mobile phones. They never yeah. had landlines really uh, in most of the African continent. So they never put up all those uh, poles. The they never put up yeah. all that. They just went straight to mobile. Um, and even the same with banking almost they kind of a lot of people went straight to mobile banking when i was in when i was in kenya seven years ago they already had like a mobile banking system that people never had bank accounts they went straight to the banking stuff on their phone and so countries in africa have this huge opportunity to skip loads of infrastructure like there's potential there for you know towns or cities or villages to just be totally off-grid, totally self-sufficient, just have their own system. They don't necessarily need to be, um, you know, linked to a wider grid to the extent that we are. They have um, so many more opportunities uh, than we do because they don't, because they're not tied to this huge infrastructure that we already have, that we're locked into. And that is obviously such a terrifying thing for such a threat, yeah, yeah, it's such yeah. a threat to just not just oil companies, you can't control but to be, that. I mean, exactly, you, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's so there's just such a there's just such a cynicism and uh, and a sort of uh, malevolence about about yeah. what's being done because it is just um, using using people, using communities, using countries for for their own means with very little benefit to the to the people in question. Yeah, I mean, some the 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 guy you mentioned said it's repulsive, and he's right. Um, and then another, a Nigerian civil society organization um, representative said, "This Saudi model is a Greek gift that will further sink Africa into climate catastrophe." And that's the reality. And Africa is going to um, Africa is already at the forefront of the impact of climate change. So, so yeah, it's vile. Will this be discussed at COP? I don't know. I doubt. I would. I would doubt it. I mean, at previous cops, you know, people said there was almost two cops. There was what? Ha- what's happening in yeah. the in, inside the official, yeah. uh, the official? And that's very, you know, very official. Um, and mm-hmm. there will be some side events, but in terms of where that will be talked about, I'd imagine it would be the stuff outside of cop. I'm not sure how much of that there is going to be at at this cop compared to previous years. Yeah. So you're not looking forward to COP twenty eight. No, like to be fair, as as we were talking at the start, you know, I, I I'm looking forward. If Mia Motley is making a speech, I'm looking forward to hearing that. There will be, there will be bits and pieces to come out of it. There, you know, there might be people who would normally talk to me about climate that might have a question here or there that you know those kind of things are good but it's very much yeah very much the little <laughs> the little things not expecting not expecting too much from it really <laughs> yeah high hopes low expectations oh well and the poor old pope is too sick to go they were very excited that the pope was going to actually go to cop and he's actually to be fair to him has been very very good on climate issues and on poverty and climate justice um so he was supposed to be making a speech there so he can't make it now um but never fear king charles will be there to make a speech so that's great 
That's one Dara will be cynicism in your voice. That's one Dara will be looking forward to. I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) You're the you're the one that brought you're the one that brought him up, Anna. Oh yeah, Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, Owen, any any final cop thoughts or thoughts on that story before we move on? Just one thing um, that I was trying to get wrap my head around was this notion of unabated fossil fuel use. Um, I don't know if you've heard this term. It's it's basically a way of saying that we're going to reduce fossil fuels without doing it. So just keep keep an eye out for that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I think what it means, if I pick this up right, is uh, fossil fuels whose emissions don't have a plan to be captured, which, by the way, we can't do in anything yep. like the scale that's required. Yeah. In other words, if you have a plan to capture the fossil fuel use, you don't have to abate. You don't have to reduce them. And yep. that plan can be unarticulated. It can be somewhere in the future. Uh, so we saying, for example, we're going to we're going to have a hundred percent reduction phase out of unabated fossil fuel use. Never goes. Oh, that sounds brilliant. It's not. No, no, I know. There's so, so many such weasel words. Yeah, and unabated is definitely one of those. For Diplo sure. babble. Diplo babble. That's a great phrase. <laughs> yeah, indeed. All right, so then the last story is a warning from uh, some... Just in case you were getting cheered up by the previous <laughs> stories. <laughs> uh, is warnings from some experts in the UK about the threat of civil unrest due to food shortages. Oh, God, have we not had enough unrest? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Anna, we you, I think... need a rest. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think you were the you were the one that well, uh, there's a few. You were the one that started it. I know. Yeah, there was a few. <laughs> well, there was a few different stories about this. I mean, one was that um, a report showing that um, cl- the climate crisis and energy costs that have caused a six hundred pound rise in the UK household food bill. Um, and there's more warnings of more to come in 2024. And so that's the Energy and Climate Intelligence Unit has said that global heating is directly contributing to the cost of living crisis. Um, so it's just pressure on people, just the food costs. And the UK already has like more um, soup kitchens and food um, poverty. It's kind of shocking when you think about it. Um, so that's that's that pressure is there. And then... Related to that, then, um, some group of experts from the University of York warned that that those kinds of issues could lead to civil unrest. I mean, so if you think about it, the most basic thing is having food available and, you know, the, the things that, you know, and they said that there could be a shortage of what they call popular carbohydrates, such as wheat, bread, pasta, etc. And if that's not available, it's, there's, it's likely to trigger civil unrest um and, and they talked about the frailties within the UK's food system in that context so so yeah so 40% of food experts surveyed believe that civil unrest in the UK in the next 10 years was either possible or more likely than not yeah so they said in in the next 10 years they said it would be because of distribution um yeah. type stuff of you know supply chain issues but if, when they were asked in the context of 50 years they said it would that unrest would be more likely because of actually not having enough food to yeah. feed to to feed the population. Um, the story that came to mind when you were doing that was a few months ago. I don't know if we covered this in the podcast or not, 
But um, when there was a story about, you know, fruit and vegetable production in Ireland and the, har- you know, the harvest being down because of the really... We didn't, the potatoes. Hot, the, really hot, the really hot yeah. summer and the really wet autumn. And it was on a radio show. I can't remember if it was if I can't remember what station it was. And they were interviewing a, an expert, and he was saying like, "Oh, you know, we're like harvest is way down in Ireland, and um, we can't we can't get the food from countries overseas that we usually would because Spain is going through a terrible drought, and yep. there's a there's a you know we're running out of viable places to produce fruit and vegetables." And that story finished, <laughs> and then the host went, and uh, and now for a story that really scares me, AI. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, you have just spent the last twenty minutes talking about, about how food. loads of places around the world are no longer able to grow or produce food, <laughs> and AI is the thing that scares you, and. Uh, yeah. The robots don't need to eat, Dara. So yeah, that's a good no, just thing, the, the, you know? the disconnect of it. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that's that's really that's it. What you just said there, Dara. The the disconnect because there's something unreal about that information when it comes to people. It doesn't feel like it's actually occurring, and, yeah. and we're not being helped to make it feel like it's actually occurring properly through media and politics because there's an apparent. This is just a news story that'll come and go. You know, the news yep. cycle will go away. Um, so it's not being given the the weight and the attention that it deserves, and we're not preparing for the somewhat inevitable um, shortages that are seemingly more and more likely. I mean, it's hard to kind of paint that as a something that might happen. It's much more on the side of very likely. You know, it to is happen. happening, and, and it is it's happening. already yeah. happening in yeah. some places. Yeah. So within yeah. you know whatever number of decades it is or years. And there's something, uh, because w- when people hear that, they, they go, oh, geez, that's, that is important. You know, I do like to eat and it's nice to be able to get stuff to put in the fridge. Um, but it's very, very, very difficult to go back in the sequence of, of cause to the fact that I'm driving my car or flying on holidays yeah. and, and joining the dots and knowing that my contribution to greenhouse gas emissions is actually a part of what's causing that potential to occur. I think it's extremely mm. hard for people to put that together in their own heads, and we're not Ye- being helped to do it. Yeah, and I, uh, very I yeah, well either. yeah, and I think the other thing, yeah. Owen, that you you know mentioned about the disconnect and the media and stuff, but the other huge part of the disconnect is just how disconnected we are from our food and, and and how the global food system does that at the moment. You know, we have so little connection to food or to the kind of systems involved in growing food. So many people don't know about where the fruit food comes from. And that is such a that's such a huge part of it yep. as well, I think, is just that we go into the supermarket, the shelves are full, we buy the stuff and that's it. Not being aware of all that complexity that goes into producing food and just how much food production relies on on a stable climate. Um, you know, one thing I think that people yeah. like that people have said to me before about that is if I talk about food shortages and, and they kind of say, ah, yeah, but you know, if 
like if things are bad in one region, sure, it'll be fine somewhere else and we'll get food from there. And, you know, the planet's warming fairly slowly. We'll be, you know, sure, that's that's 50, 60 years down the line. And I'm like, no, it it just takes one bad year. You know, it, we don't need it to get yep. like worse and worse and worse and worse until, you know, the planet's uninhabitable. We're making the odds of a of a freak year where food production is affected globally simultaneously around say breadbasket regions we're making that more and more likely every year um to you know to the point that eventually it's it's it will be a case of not not if but but when um yeah i mean just a small example um there's a story from northern Greece, Halkidiki, where they make the olives or they grow the olives. Um, and the olive crop there is threatened because it's not getting cold enough it's in winter. So the, the a farmer was interviewed and he's like, it's 15 degrees here. It should be 10 degrees. Yeah. And what's happening is the olive trees, they don't have time to rest in winter. And so the, the, crop, has, the crop has been decimated. Um, and that's just a small example of a region that is, a, you know, has a big change in their climate happening that's affecting how they can grow things one the thing you said there dara you know people are so disconnected that comes from their food i think something that people really miss a lot as well is like the supermarket the food doesn't just end up on your supermarket shelf somebody has to grow it and in order for somebody to actually grow it that's their business and so if your business is at risk like it doesn't even have to be that the, the crop is gone it could be this is too risky for me to do. And we're seeing that happen in Ireland. We had 400 people growing crops here in Ireland like 30 years ago. Now we have 60. And I like I work in this industry. I hear people complaining and talk, not complaining, but like expressing real concern. Worrying. Like there's more closures coming. And it's not that we're like, oh, if one farm closes, sure we can get our carrots from another farm. That's not how agriculture works in Ireland. One farmer grows one crop because of the way we've industrialized everything here in Ireland. And that's the same for around the world, like different versions of the same problem. But like people, the people who are growing the food, it's becoming too risky for them. Yeah. So even if the climate doesn't eradicate the crop itself, it's going to eradicate the producers because they can't earn an income from it. It doesn't make financial sense. So we just have, it's such a complex problem, but it's really important that people do have that connection to the food that's on their supermarket shelf so that they're aware of that. And then maybe they make more informed kind of decisions around their food consumerism. Mm, little plug for the uh, special episode we did in the summer with Kenneth Keevy from Green Earth Organics. It's a great, great yeah. chat about yes. about all this. All right. Um, shall we move on then to the stories that we didn't get a chance to discuss um, this week? Um, and I see there's a not here, not anywhere one there. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, uh, well, just a reminder that people, you can protest and Amazon, for example, um, was hit by strikes and protests across Europe as they were pushing consumption during so-called Black Friday. Um, And here in Ireland, Extinction Rebellion and Not Here, Not Anywhere joined that protest and did some really nice projections saying make Amazon pay on the company's headquarters here. Um, So, I mean, it's just an, an example of people taking action around the world to address some of those issues good work not here not anywhere and extension rebellion no it's uh it's great to see it's great to see um 
All right, then there was that story in uh, doing the rounds about how warming of two degrees Celsius could tr- trigger catastrophic loss of the world's ice. You say that like it's such a casual. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> this is one of those exactly. stories that's too yeah, big yeah. to even think about. It's too big. Yeah, no, to, that's exactly. It's too big to contemplate. I know Owen, 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 and I were chatting about this. We were like, you know, it's time to move inland and uphill. You know, it's um, that one struck you, Owen, didn't it? Oh wow! So d- two degrees means the loss of almost all of the world's ice which means 12 to 20 metres of sea level rise. And that's coming from a pretty reputable, you know, source of scientists. Um, And where our policy trajectory currently is taking us, if everyone does everything they've promised to do, is around 2.1 or something, but probably more like 2.7 or 2.9. That's if everyone does what they've said they're going to do, and and nobody's doing what they've said they're they're going to do. Um. So it's almost like this is starting to seem like an inevitability that we are going to have catastrophic loss of sea ice. And I, I don't know how to read that. I'm not an ocean, you know, a scientist who... who so I, I, you rely on these reports to kind of... Um, and I haven't heard anyone critically evaluate the information yet, so I don't quite know how to land with it myself. But just on face value... Um, this is one of those things where you need your psychological defenses yeah. in play to even yeah. even know that the information is there <laughs> because <laughs> it's, it could really push you um, into a pretty dark place. <laughs> and I, you know, I frequently, I live in Hoth, right? So, which I'm very lucky to do. And it's a which would be spot, an island. Which would be an <laughs> island. And I'm not quite sure if my house is high up enough to escape the rising <laughs> sea levels. So I might be a, um, you know, yeah, and, and that's not good, you know. It, it's kind of, we say these things and go, yeah, I'd be an island. And then, mm. yeah, do I have to buy a boat? <laughs> How do I get my kids to school? Because they live on the other side of, oh, no, their school would actually be underwater. So with, <laughs> so with their grandparents' house and their auntie's house. <laughs> Hope you've got room for all those uh, climate refugees, Owen. Right, and and you kind of think locally, but then actually if you if you broaden out your scope to the rest of the world, what would be happening that most of Dublin would be underwater, London would be underwater, you know, Miami would be underwater, massive parts of um, New York. Uh, Southeast Asia would be underwater, New York would be underwater. And it's just a, an extraordinarily difficult thing to even look at and, and yeah. sit with for a moment that that's a potential yeah. that's occurring. God, I haven't read that story, so I might have waited. Yeah, I suppose. I, su- I, su- <laughs> I suppose. I suppose. <laughs> Sorry, Kira. Like the uh, for me, it's all down to the time scale now. You know, with that, it's it because because of the way the climate system works, the planet's going to keep warming. You know, um, through through feedbacks for for it to stabilize, and part of that is is kind of the sea ice the sea ice melting um so really all we can do it feels is is decide how quickly or slowly we let this happen you know like that's that's what i think that this like when you said there on about a two degree world being pretty much free of ice that's over you know that's over the time span of cent definitely decades probably centuries for you know for the whole for that whole cycle to take place so really 
<clears throat> uh, and I suppose for me, what, you know, that is just an unrecognizable world. That is just a, a different world. And the knock-on effects that that then has on the climate, it's just a, to- you know, it's just a totally different planet. It's not even something I can conceive. Um, so, I, yeah, to be honest, I haven't paid too much attention to this story because... <laughs> Because I, because I just can't at the moment. But, uh, <clears throat> but it is just the only thing I can take from it is that we really, really, really need that urgent action. You know, we really, really, really need to to keep warming as to as little as possible and slow it down as as much as possible. Because, yeah. It, yeah, yeah. It's it's about the time scale with this one. It it's does it happen over centuries or does it happen over millennia? Um, yeah. There's something about our um, our coping with this that I think is really important to land with as well, um, because uh, there's a there is quite a toll when you studiously bear witness to the breakdown of a safe climate and and notice what's occurring. Uh, there's a sense of urgency and the urge to prevent harm, but also a strong sense that there's inertia and people are, you know, not doing yeah. enough. Um, you know, the sense of dread that the worst is yet to come, the maddening indifference of people who don't seem to see, the exhausting setbacks and inaction. Uh, you know, there's, it, there's, a, there's a short road to burnout and numbness and depression and despair. So part of I think a healthy coping with some of this really big stuff like that is to bring our minds back down into, it's not that we ignore it and, and do nothing. It's that we bring our minds for periods of time into our circle of influence, things that we can actually uh, do. And we connect with others like this podcast uh, is, a, is a great example of it. Uh, and that kind of remembering to do that with ourselves sometimes is really important and if, if you don't mind a little segue into a couple of local things that I'd like to plug. Good, um, go for it. And it's just to, just to kind of bring the mind of people doing things and at a very local, small level, which actually I think is very important because it's out of that that the groundswell will uh, ultimately emerge if we're hopeful. Uh, so one is um, within the HSE, my local HSE area, uh, and, you know, people don't often have a lot of good to say about the HSE, and that's understandable. They're suffering because of its inadequacies. But the climate crew in North Dublin Adult Mental Health HSE is phenomenal. They've done brilliant work. They're way ahead of their targets, uh, the government's targets of 50 plus percent reductions uh, in carbon emissions uh, because they started a few years back. Because there's people in there who just okay. really wanted to do something about this. So um, huge shout out to... Tracy and Kevin and Aidan and all the, uh, Stell and all the other, I'm so sorry if I've missed your names, uh, other people who've been plugging away at this in there for years, they've done phenomenal work. Um, and they, I think one of the best HSE sites in the country. So that's just a small snippet of good news. Um, the other thing that I want to plug is on uh, January 20th, uh, myself and Joan Hopkins, who's a local councillor in, in Baldoyle in Fingal, uh, are running a climate cafe in the Baldoyle Community Centre. Um, so come along. We'd love to see you there. 4.30 to 6.30, cup of tea, some cake and climate chat. Um, and then the third thing is the Psychological Society of Ireland are running a, f- a free lecture series. And on December 5th, 
uh, yours truly will be doing an online talk on the psychology of climate change. If you haven't heard enough oh. of it today, uh, there's more coming. So one of the reasons I like doing these things is not because I think that that's going to fundamentally change the likely outcome of ice sheet loss <laughs> over the next decades and millennia. It's because um, life is still worth living <laughs> and there's hope to be got in the company of good people who are doing good things. Yeah. And the, the spirit of community is what will get us through whatever is occurring. How, no, regardless of how bad things get, we're going to need that spirit of community and uh, the social capital of that, if you want, is, is so important, uh, which is why we need to drop into it periodically, I think. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And I think all of those small local actions have a ripple effect as well. And, and you just don't know where that ripple effect will lead. So I think it's I, really positive. Oh, you're so relaxing to listen to. I want to bring you to my home and bring you everywhere. And every time I'm stressed out, be like, oh, no. <laughs> that has really, that was, that was just really lovely what you said. I loved it. <laughs> but, but, but Kira, but Kira, we're, we're recording this so you can replay it. I genuinely don't remember a time where I've looked at the Zoom screen and seen all four of us so engaged. <laughs> um, as to what you were saying, on a personal level, um, I really, really needed to hear that. Um, yeah. I, re I, I really, really did. Uh, yeah, yeah. So thanks. Thanks for that. I Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's... Uh, I didn't even know <laughs> how much I needed to hear that. So, uh, yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, it's better than a positive climate story. <laughs> so I think we should move on to our actions because my positive climate story is better. Okay, <laughs> so so the so so Owen gave us some good recommended actions there, and we'll try to get the details of those into the show notes. Um, and if you feel inspired, next Saturday, the 9th of December, there is a COP twenty eight Global Day of Action. So there's a march from the Docklands Borgosh Energy Theatre to the GPO, and that's organised by the Climate Justice Coalition. So it looks like being a big day of action and the, the theme is hashtag now we rise. So, um, and they're not talking about sea levels, they're talking about people power. <laughs> so get to that if you can. Fantastic. Um, I have one that I don't know if people saw recently that the EU voted to uh, renew the license for glyphosate, which is basically just a chemical that's killing the planet. Um, so that's bad news. But in good news, there's a Donegal man who is taking on the authorities and he has set up a petition um, to ask Donegal Council to cease the use of glyphosate, even though the EU has said it's all right to use. So I think that's really inspiring. Um, so we have a link there to sign the petition. If anyone, well, I signed it and I'm not in Donegal. Who cares? They're not going to check. But uh, <laughs> I think it's a good idea and everyone should set up their own petitions and we're going to just stop <laughs> Ireland. We don't need, as, as, as some of our uh, right-wing friends would say, we don't need the EU telling us what to do. And in this instance, they're correct. So let's set up our own petitions. We have some common ground. Very good, Kira. Kira planning a, a Dexit, an exit in Donegal from the EU. Um, great. I think that is a good place to leave it. Um, Owen, thanks uh, so so much for joining us it's been so great to have you along Lovely. this week yeah good to chat always always nice to, to check in with you guys yeah, yeah thanks thank you, it's been fantastic as always um, and Kira and Anna great great to chat to you as well uh, today 
right back at you. Uh, that's it. We will be back um, in two weeks' time for the last episode of the season to round up COP. We'll chat to you all in two Bye. weeks. Thanks very much. Thanks. Bye. 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 Bye.